Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Good morning. My name is John Ciada. I am the pastor of family ministry here at Southridge. And uh, before we dive into God's Word, I realize that I am not always the one preaching every week. So there may be some people here who don't know me at all, uh, whether you're new to the church, you're joining us online this morning. Um, and something I always really like to do is share a little bit about myself before we get into God's word, because you're listening to God speaking through me. And, uh, and it's an opportunity to just learn more about some of the pastors here on staff. So a little bit of details about me. I was actually born and raised in New Jersey, so Northeast is uh, a special place in my heart. Um, from a young age, God put it upon my heart to go into ministry. So I actually studied uh, to be in student ministry at uh, a school in Chicago, which is where I met my wife. And then we had fully anticipated, like, God, wherever you want us to go, send us. And God brought us back to Jersey, uh, which we are very grateful for. We do love it here. And this church, we absolutely love this church. It's, it's actually a little mind-boggling. Uh, this church has put up with me for close to seven years. Um, so praise God for that. Um, but I realize those are things you may have already known about me if you're someone who comes here. So I thought I'd share some things that hope, I don't think anyone other than my wife really knows. Uh, so one of those things is I get up pretty early in the morning and I'm not, I do not like the morning. Um, so I actually set five alarms um, and the goal is to get up by the fourth one. Like, that is the goal. My wife loves that about me. She's like, oh, thank you so much, John. It's such a nice way to start her day off. Um, another thing that you may not know about me is I have a couple of pet peeves. But there is one that really, you know, if you really just want me to lose my Christian character, you will do this. Um, and that is when I, you know, when you tell someone like, hey, listen, I haven't seen that movie, that show, that game. And you're like, please, don't tell me anything. Now, I don't know what gets lost in translation there, but for some reason, that person, whoever it is, feels just inclined to be like, oh yeah, no worries. I won't tell you anything. Except there's something really big that happens at the end. Like, why? Like, just please, no. Like, I, I mean, I think that's something that irks a lot of us, but it irks me especially. Um, Another thing uh, that I thought I'd share with you guys uh, is, you know, when I was actually really young, uh, I don't know why, I don't know how God just does crazy things. Um, like everybody remembers back when they were a little kid, like what they wanted to be when they get older, right? Like, you know, I want to be a police officer. Well, I wanted to be a zookeeper and a pastor on the weekends, um, I was going to minister with animals during the week, and then on Sundays I was going to preach. Little did I know uh, how much work that would be. Um, and so I picked the one that I enjoy more and that God led me to. Praise him for that. Hopefully something that isn't a surprise to you and something that I do want to share with you this morning about myself is that I, I really love God. I really love God. And I know some of you are sitting there going like, all right, John, Captain Obvious, like a pastor who loves God, like that's, that's supposed to be an assumption, but, uh, and that's not a reflection on any other pastors, but just purely, I, I really love God. And my relationship with God over this past year has grown so much, so much that I am learning about God. And you know, the funny thing is when you learn about God, you realize how much you do not know about God. The more and more that like, I learn about his characteristics, his traits, his love, his care, his genuineness, all these things, the more and more I go, man, I don't know all that there is to know about God. And that used to really, really bug me. Like, how can I, how can I dedicate my entire life to something that I don't completely and totally understand? And something that I have really come to terms with after talking with a lot of mentors and people that I really respect is like, I'm actually grateful I don't understand everything about God. Because if I understood everything about God, that means that my finite human brain was, was, would confine God to that a much. Like if I can only know this much, that means that God can only be this big. 
And God is so much bigger than that. He's so much bigger than my comprehension. We're talking about the creator of the universe here. The God that created mankind, the ocean, the waves, uh, the, the universe, everything in it. Things that we truly do not even know. I mean, even just, if I don't know if we, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just really weird about this, but every once in a while, I'll, like, take a second, and I'll just stop what I'm doing, and I'll think about, like, how God created our bodies. Like, we are so intricately made that even as I'm talking right now, maybe it's the Italian in me, but my, like, hands are moving, and I don't even know what it's like. I don't know why they're moving that way. They're just happening that way, and God created me to be able to do that, right? Like, even as you're sitting there, you're thinking and you're, you're making assessments and judgments. You're like, wow, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this guy for the next 35 minutes. Or you're saying, okay, he's got me so far. We'll see what God does with this. But God created us so uniquely, so powerfully, so, so incredibly intricate. And that is the God that we have an opportunity to have relationship with. Like, let us not lose sight of how great our God is. And that is something we are going to be talking about today. I'm grateful because I believe that love that God has given so many of us gives us passions and things that we really enjoy, regardless of what they are. And then it actually works out quite well because the passion that I have here at Southridge Community Church is our families and is the next generation. Something that I am adamant about. You know, I was actually talking to someone in between services. Like we had a bunch of kids kind of running through these aisles and I was loving every second of it. Like we are a church that has young kids as a part of it. Listen, the next generation are the, it is the church of today and they are the leaders of the church tomorrow. We have to be investing in our kids, our students. And let me tell you, if you talk to a parent, a grandparent, a volunteer, a whoever is involved in a student or kid's life, they will tell you that as they invest, the kid or student or young adult invests back into them. Right? As you, as you, like, listen, I know this is the case for me. Sometimes they teach us things like patience, right? We don't like learning that lesson. But there's other lessons, right? Like, if you ever talk to a kid about God, man, it's incredible. There's no limitations on God. Through our, our heartache, our brokenness, through our, what happens in our adult lives, like we, end, like we end up having all this baggage that we carry. And when you see God through the viewpoint of a child, it's just like, wow, there's so much there that I, I wish I could just like break down and understand. To have the faith that you have that like God's just going to do what he's going to do, what he says he's going to do. Like we do, I love this church. We do, we got some really cool stuff coming up with the family gathering and opportunities. Like I want to just encourage you, bring your, bring your kids out, be a part of that. Invite your neighbors, your nieces, your nephews. This is a chance for us as a church body to come around, to disciple, to impact. We also mentioned something like retreats. I'm, I'm, let me tell you, retreats are exhausting. They're absolutely, um, yeah, exhausting is the right word. Um, but they are so powerful. How many students I've had the opportunity of being a part of baptisms here or other places where they say, yeah, Harvey Cedars was a part of my testimony and development. Like we have the opportunity and I would encourage you, this is not limited to parents. This is not limited to grandparents. Every single one of us have the opportunity to be investing in the future of the church regardless of whether that's your neighbors here at Southridge as a volunteer, whatever it might mean, I, I cannot implore you enough to be investing in the future. Anyway, that brings us to what we're going to be talking about today as we learn more about God and learn more about who he is. We're going to be uh, talking about John 18. So I'm going to encourage you, grab your Bible underneath your seat. John 18, John 18. And we're kind of opening up, guys, brand new message series. How exciting, right? The message series is entitled Questions, right? And as we, get, as we talk through questions, we're going to highlight some different questions that are raised in Scripture in, in, in the timeline of Christ leading up and through his crucifixion. Now, what's really cool about us reading John 18 is that we just finished, what did we just finish? 
Thank you, John 17. Yes. First service struggled with that a lot, a lot more than I think Pastor Nathan wants to know about. But yes, John 17. We just finished John 17. So we have the background. We just talked about lasting words, the impact of what Christ says before we get to this portion. So we're getting into John chapter 18, and we're going to walk through this passage. So I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then actually Olivia is going to read the passage for us, and then we'll kind of break it down into some smaller pieces. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. just want to pray for our time this morning, that we would be engrossed in your word, that we would understand who you are, that the distractions around us would be eliminated, that we would forget about what took place this week, that we would forget about the people that are sitting next to us, that we would forget about whatever else might be deterring us from hearing what your truth is this morning, God, but instead that we would focus, that we would honor and glorify your name. And Lord, I also want to pray a prayer for myself that this would not be about John Seattle, but instead solely and totally about you and your word and your truth, Father, that all glory and honor would be presented at your feet. We love you, Lord. Please impact our hearts, minds, and souls. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We'll be in John 18, reading verses 1 through 14. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to kind of go through this passage and break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces just so we can really focus in on what the message is behind this. So we have verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he, ha- he and his disciples went into it. It's something that uh, something I'm learning is the importance of geography. We uh, we in our Western culture we tend to just like read right over places, right? We're just like, okay, Kidron Valley doesn't matter, whatever. You know, it, it's it's not Hunterdon County, so it doesn't make a difference. Like, but the truth is, there is so much significance to where this is located, and that's the case with all scripture because it gives you the context of where this is taking place. So we we I just want to share a little bit about the Kidron Valley. So the Kidron Valley was located on the eastern edge of Jerusalem, okay? On the eastern edge of Jerusalem. And it was actually located in between the Mount, uh, Mount Temple and the Mount of Olives. And there was this valley that was created. And at the top of the Kidron Valley are all these tombs. All these tombs, that was actually like a burial ground that took place there, okay? So walking through this valley would lead them from the Temple Mount, to uh, the Mount of Olives, which is a really prominent piece in geographic, man, oh boy, it's a really big place in scripture, okay, we're just going to go with that. Um, Anyway, there's some significant events that take place in the Kidron Valley throughout the Old Testament and the New. For example, like in the Old Testament, King David actually crossed the Kidron Valley to escape his son Absalom. 
It's also where King Asa burned the pagan idols in the Asherah poles. In the New Testament, we see Jesus uses the Kidron Valley multiple times through the course of traveling. This is actually Jesus traveled from Jerusalem to Bethany through the Kidron Valley to go raise Lazarus from the dead. It's also this valley is what Jesus crossed when he was coming in for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So like this is a noted place, okay? And now we might still be like, well, John, what's the point? It's just important to understand the context so we can see the fullness of the picture of what scripture is communicating. So we understand the Kidron Valley, and that leads us into verses 2 and 3. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew, this, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now I think some of us who have heard the name Judas are a little desensitized. We really are. Like we hear that name and we're like, okay, Judas, we all know who Judas is. But, but I just want to, for a second, like I want you just to think about your own life and if you've ever been betrayed by someone. Have you ever had someone break their trust with you? Misuse it, abuse it, go behind your back. Now, how much more significant, I don't know what your situation is, but how much more significant is it when someone betrays you who you are close with? It hurts. It hurts greatly. I, I, I just in my limited life, the amount of betrayals that I've experienced of people who have broken my trust, the ones who are close are always the harder ones. The people I don't know, I'm like, okay, well, you don't know me, and so whatever. But man, this is one of Jesus's 12. This is a brother. We know that this person was close to Jesus because it literally says, G Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Like Judas knew where they were located because he had been there before. Let us not lose the significance of the emotional challenge that Jesus going through is a brother. And when we, when we hear the words betrayal in the garden, I don't know about you, but this is actually not the first passage I think of. When I hear betrayal in the garden, my mind immediately goes back to Genesis chapter 1. We have God who, who creates the heavens and the earth and everything in the earth. We have the oceans, the sky, the waves, all of this incredible nature. He creates mankind, birds, animals, and he puts mankind in the garden. And he says, worship and glorify my name. And he gives them very clear instructions. Do not eat of this tree, these trees, right? He says, don't, don't do that. Now we know, we know the story. We, knows what we know what happens in Genesis chapter 3, right? Adam and Eve, they eat of the tree. And let's be very clear about the intentions behind why they eat. They didn't eat of the tree because they were hungry. They didn't eat of the tree because it was like, well, there's no other food here, God, so we have to do it. They ate of the tree because they wanted to be like God, Talk about betrayal. I have, God has created mankind to serve and glorify and worship him and find fulfillment in that. And mankind turns around and says, I don't really want to worship you. I want to be worshiped. So instead, I will try to take up this mantle. Something that is so powerful as we look at the whole narrative of scripture is understanding that it is connected and there are parallels. We see the Garden of Eden, the betrayal that takes place in the Garden of Eden leads to separation. But the betrayal that takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane, it leads to reconciliation through Christ's death on the cross. We see that in the Garden of Eden, there is brokenness that is the result. And we see through the Garden of Gethsemane, although betrayal is painful, we recognize this is on the path for bringing mankind back to God. We continue to read in verses 4 through 9. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. 
When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. So we've identified that Judas portrays Jesus, right? Judas portrays Jesus. And this is where we're introduced to the question. Jesus asks this question, who is it you want? Now let's be very clear. What does it say right before he asks the question? Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out. So Jesus is not asking this question because he's like confused. He's not puzzled. He's not asking this question like, huh, there's a bunch of Roman officials here. Like, what, what are they here for? I have no idea. No, Jesus fully understands what is taking place here. Matter of fact, I actually heard someone say it recently, and I love this. Jesus asks questions to reveal to the person something that they don't already know. He doesn't ask because he actually doesn't know what the answer is. He asks because he wants to show you, hey, you don't actually know what the answer is. So Jesus asks, who is it you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. Now, our Western translation actually does this a disservice. And in some Bibles, it would actually be translated more accurately, which would be, I am. When we go through, I don't know if any of you remember, like for me, it was in middle school, right? Like you sit in English class and you have to circle the subject, you know, square the verb, figure out what the direct object is. I was homeschooled. So a big deal for me was like schoolhouse rock. Does anyone remember schoolhouse rock? Conjunction, junction. Ah, great. Some people know what I'm talking about. How exciting. Wow. Well, that's, that's great. Uh, anyway, more important things. Um, we get through and we outline this passage and we begin to understand that our Western culture wants to add the he because we need an object in there. But what Jesus actually says is, I am. I am. What a weird response. Oh, wait. When I say the words, I am, do you think of somewhere else in Scripture? Maybe Exodus chapter 3. We've got Moses, right? Moses has just fled from the Egyptians. And he's, he's been integrated into this new family. And he becomes a shepherd. And he experiences God at the burning bush, right? He, he is interacting with God. And God tells him, listen, I've heard the cry of my people. You are going to help me deliver the people of Israel. And Moses is like, oh. I don't know, God, are you sure? I can't talk great and all that other good stuff. And then, and then what does he say? He says, well, if I go to the Israelite elders and I say, God has sent me. And then they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What a weird question for the Israelite elders to ask, right? What is his name? But we, we lose, I mean, listen, the truth is we have lost so much significance with names nowadays. Um, truth is, and I, I'm not making fun of this, I'm probably going to become one of these parents someday. Like, we name our kids based on making sure nobody else around us has that name, right? Or like, oh, nobody, nobody I know knows that, like, has that name, so we'll name you this really exotic, crazy name or whatever else. But the truth is, the Old Testament names were given with huge levels of significance. It was what you would live up to. It was who you would be. So naming your child a certain thing or having a name that you were known by had weight and significance. So when the Israelite elders are asking like, what's God's name? And what is God's response? God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. And I love this statement because the phrase I am has nothing dependent. It, it is not dependent on anything. There's nothing that comes after it. Everything is dependent on it. Just like God who is independent. And another thing to highlight here is like, what if, what if God had said, I am justice. I am love. I am joy. And, and those things are true. But how much more would it have like highlighted that one or two characteristics and raised them above the rest? Instead, he says, I am. I am who I am. Make no mistake. Jesus is not just like, ah, oh, here's a cool name. I'll say I am. 
No, he is making a proclamation here to those who are there to take him saying, I am, I am God. That is what he is saying. I am God. And don't mistake this. The people who are there, the Pharisees and the, and the leaders of, of Israel and the officials, they knew their Torah. They knew their first five books of the Bible really, really well. They knew the story of Exodus. It wasn't like, huh, where have I heard this before? They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was proclaiming. This is something beautiful about scripture that we need to highlight. Jesus is God. So many religions out there have a prophecy, prophet or someone else who points and says like, listen, this is how you get to where you need to go. Christianity has the recognition to say, you can't get there. You're not going to make it. And so as a result, God sent his son to earth to pay the price and to literally, for those who believe and trust in him, take them along the path. Jesus is saying, I am God, and I am not only pointing to God, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is literally saying, I'm the, I'm the way. I am God, and I am the way. When he says, I am, there's a reaction and a response that takes place among those who are there, right? <clears throat> Literally, the, the men fell back. They fell to the ground in reverence and in awe. And let's highlight this for a second. Why did they fall to the ground? Why did they? This is something I really struggled with. When we, were, we actually have a teaching meeting. Who We meet once a week and we talk through scripture. And we talk through what we're going to be sharing usually a couple Sundays out. So that way the, the person who's preaching can really make sure that they're in alignment with God's word. And I, I'm not kidding. I was with the teaching team and I said, guys, I don't get it. Like what happened? Like a big wind came and everybody fell down. Did like somebody trip somebody and domino effect. Like why did everyone fall to the ground? But the crazy thing is this is not the first time this has taken place in scripture. A matter of fact, in Ezekiel chapter one, God speaks to Ezekiel, and he falls to the ground. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, while they are dedicating the temple, the people of Israel are exposed to God, and they fall to the ground. In Luke chapter 5, Peter falls to his feet when he realizes who Jesus is. I, I think it's hard for us to comprehend because we have a hard time understanding the idea of reverence. It's hard for me to comprehend at least. Like, just imagine for a second with me. Like, you are standing there about to arrest Jesus. And you ask, he asks you, who is it you're looking for? And you say, Jesus of Nazareth, thinking you are looking for a man. And he proclaims, I am. And your body, literally, involuntarily, falls to the ground. Where you are humbly submitting yourself out of reverence. Like, can you just... Picture with me for a second, if you were there, what you are thinking in this moment. Like, oh my gosh. Like, this isn't just some, like, criminal. This isn't just some, like, wackadoo. Like, this is, this is something so much greater. I, I think the reason why I have such a hard time understanding this is because it is so hard for me sometimes to submit and to fall to my knees and to show true, genuine reverence for who God is. I think I, I personally belittle him and, and put him in boxes or put him within confined spaces so that I can understand or comprehend or, or figure it out. And the truth is, like, when we're truly exposed to who Jesus is, we can't do anything but fall to our faces in worship and in reverence and in respect to who he is and all that he does. He says, I am, I am, right? Like he proclaims the name of God and these men fully understood. See, listen, there's a beautiful connection between scripture. When we, when we look at the Exodus passage, right? God, God says to Moses, listen, 
I am going to lead my people out of the bondage of Egypt. I'm going to lead them out of the bondage of Egypt. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is communicating and recognizes, I am going to lead my people out of the bondage of sin. There is so much significance to what is being said and what is being proclaimed in and through this passage. Jesus continues on and he asks the men who were there to take him. He says, if you are looking, uh, verse, yeah, verse eight, if you're looking for me, then let these men go. And yes, this did happen to fulfill his words, but I think we context is really important here, right? Like we tend to think of the garden of Gethsemane and we're like, well, they're just going to get Jesus, right? But, but if you have someone who's causing problems and insurrections and leading a whole army against you, you would not just take the leader. You would take all of the people who were rebelling. And so it was common practice for, in this case, the Roman leaders and the Pharisees to take all the disciples and they would all disappear, right? Like that would be the end of the rebellion. And instead, what Jesus says is, take me, let them go. Tim Keller fantastic pastor, uh, theologian, so many cool things that he does. He, he actually preaches on this passage, does probably a thousand times better than I ever will. But nonetheless, like he, he actually sets this so well. He says, listen, when we, when we understand the words, let them go, it could actually be understood as forgive them. Take me, forgive them. I don't know if this rings any bells for you, but it's a pretty direct comparison to what Jesus does a couple chapters later where he's on the cross and he says, take me, forgive them. This is substitutionary atonement. It's a big word for basically saying Jesus came down to earth and paid for our sins. He paid the price for me, for you, that if we believe and have faith and trust in him, we can be in relationship with God, reconciled. Take me, let them go. We continue to read in verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Oh, Peter, we have to love Peter, right? Peter, 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 right? He's got all this passion, all this vigor, all this excitement, and he's just a little misdirected, right? He's got, he's missing the point a little bit, right? Like, could you imagine being there? Jesus has just negotiated and said, take me, let them go. And then Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts somebody's ears off. And you're like, like John right there is like, I cannot believe you just did that, Peter. Like, what are you thinking? We just got off, like whispering to the Roman guard, like, I don't know him. You can take him, you can take him, persecute him, but I do not know him. Right? Like, like Jesus wouldn't say, let them go if he wanted them to be taken. So why does Peter do this? Peter, Peter's this, ah, man, I love Peter. Uh, because Peter's got like all the passion in the world. Peter, Peter will light the, the whole world on fire, right? He's like, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. But he's like misdirected. And so he ends up doing things that are like not what God wants him to do, right? And we'll see that in a couple passages later. This is not the only time that Peter doesn't do what God calls him to do. And like in the midst of that, like it gives me such great hope. Because Jesus doesn't say like, okay, Peter, you dumb dumb, like, I'm going to let them take you now because you just clearly aren't listening to anything I'm saying. No, he just reminds them, hey, listen, I need to drink this cup. I need to do this. Like, how, how much does Peter reassure us that we don't have to be perfect to follow God? Right? Like, heaven forbid, because let me tell you, if that was the case, none of us would be in this room. Not a single one of us would be here because there'd be no point. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I, I, I would like to think I have some passion like Peter has, but the truth is like misdirected all the time, all the time. I'm sure Jesus is up in heaven like, oh, John again, like, what are you doing, dude? 
but he still uses those who are willing. He still forgives and he uses those who are willing. And what does Jesus say in response? He says, listen, no, Peter, I I am going to drink of this cup. What a weird phrase. Why didn't he just say like, no, I got to do this, Peter. He says it because the cup has direct correlation to Old Old Testament theology. Drinking of the cup is the idea of taking on God's wrath, right? God's wrath that is, it is intended for mankind, but due to substitutionary atonement, due to Jesus Christ taking our place, he takes that upon himself. We continue to read in verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. We're not going to go back to this passage, but in John chapter 11, verses 45 through 53, we actually see Caiaphas making a claim. He goes, listen, It'd be better if we just kill this Jesus guy so that way we can protect our culture, our temple, our area. Because if the Romans get wind of this guy causing a rebellion, like we're all in trouble. Caiaphas is trying to protect what he has, his cultural influences, his area, all those pieces that go so much into Jewish tradition. Little does he know that he's actually going to be a part of fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus dying on the cross for everyone's sins. There is power in God's word and how he uses sometimes misintended direction, misintended objections, misdirected, misdirected like goals, and he uses it for his glory. It's powerful. We see Jesus in the garden where he's betrayed He he proclaims the name of who he is. He is God. Everyone recognizes and shows reverence. Peter acts out a little bit, and Jesus still continues. And it ends with him in front of those who would persecute him for the wrong reasons. Guys, at the beginning of our message, I shared a little bit about myself, and I also shared a little bit about the God that I love. And I have to tell you, If there's anything we should walk away from today, it is that you should be grateful that it was not one of us or John Ciotta that was in Jesus's shoes. Because I would not have responded the way Jesus did. And I think that just further clarifies like how powerful and great our God is in his response and the way that he interacts. Like, listen, John Ciotta is the one that like gets cut off on 78 and is like, God, if a cop could just pull out right now and just pull them over, that would be great. Like, that's me. You think that if someone betrayed me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for you. No. I'd be like, yeah, well, yeah, good luck. See ya. Right? Like, that, that would be more the attitude that I would have. And the truth of the reason is because I am a sinner. I am broken. I, despite being up here and being a pastor, it doesn't change that I, I fall short of God's glory every day. I put things ahead of God. I, I crave comfort rather than, rather than truly serving all out all the time. I desire things. I, I have pieces of my life that I like to lock away and pretend like, God, you can have all this, but this piece right here, like I'm going to hold on to that. Truth is there's, there's people groups and areas where I wonder if like, like, do they see me differently? Or what is their opinions? Or, or even right now, as I stand before you, like, man, I really hope everybody thinks John did a great job preaching this morning. What a terrible heart. How broken I am. That even as I give glory and honor to God, that I would even selfishly be desiring. Like, I, I'm a sinner. And I'm broken and I don't write that off as an excuse. I say instead that I am sad that I am that way, but I am so grateful that Jesus is not like me. Because rather than him responding in the ways that I would have responded, 
He instead, he loves and he cares and he unifies and he looks at those who persecuted him and he says, listen, I'm doing this because I want to pay the price for you so that you may understand and and truly take note of who God is and be reconciled back to the Father. I have no idea where you are at in your spiritual journey this morning. Perhaps you're someone with us this morning and you are wondering where you fit into this story or what a relationship with Christ looks like. Maybe you're here and you've, you've heard a thousand Easter messages before and you're just saying, John, okay, like let's get through Easter and we'll continue to study other passages or I know the crucifixion or I know, I have no idea how this message is resonating with you, but I will tell you this. I think, and I'll speak for myself here, I believe that we do, but I will say I believe that we resemble a lot of characters in this story. I believe we at points resemble Judas who betrays Jesus and puts other things above him. I think we resemble the Roman soldiers who stand there before him following orders of cultural idealism in an effort to oppress, but instead bind Jesus. I think we resemble at points Peter and we have all this passion and desire and yet we're so misdirected and we guide it towards things that are really not what God cares about. At the end of the day, that's not the essence of what his word is about. Or maybe we are like Caiaphas who is just trying to protect our comfort zone and our cultural bubble. So Jesus, you can come in this much, but you can't come enough to disrupt what I've got going on here because heaven forbid you tell me something I don't want to hear. I think we resemble a lot of those people, but the beauty is that we serve a God who doesn't. We serve the great I am. And so my challenge for you this morning is, first I'm going to invite the worship team up, but my challenge for you this morning is regardless of where you're at, this morning, if you are sitting here and you're like, John, I don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want it. I want to understand what you're talking about. I want to be a part of it. Then let me tell you, please, I am begging you. We have an incredible prayer team up here. And if you are online, please jump into the chat and talk to someone. If you are here in person, you want to talk to a pastor or someone here on staff. God is prompting you with that. Do not leave today without learning more. I mean that. The Holy Spirit works in incredible ways and silencing or trying to hide that voice, it doesn't work. It's going to keep going and it's better just to just dive in and find true fulfillment, love, and joy in serving our Lord and Savior. For some of you, you you may be believers. You've heard this story before. But maybe, just maybe, we need to go back to remembering who Jesus Christ is and who our God is. Let me ask you a question. When you hear the name of Christ, do we have the kind of reverence that it drives us down to our knees to the point that we are laying down, face down, going, that's the God I serve. The great I am. And I don't say that in a guilting manner or in a manner to say like, oh, you've got to like, you got to, no, no, no. I say that because I believe truly within my heart, truly with all, all my might that we serve an incredible and powerful God. I think what limits, we don't actually limit God. We limit our understanding of who God is. So what we're going to do here is we're actually going to sing a song. It's actually, uh, the song is The Great I Am. It's very appropriate, right? (laughs) We're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, I want to just encourage you to worship how you feel led. Whatever that might look like. Sit, pray, sing, stand, whatever. I would say that if you're a new believer and you're trying to figure this out, take some time to pray to God. If you're someone who's been a believer for many, many years, Maybe this is a great chance for you just to take a little bit of time to remember how great our God is. Would you please join with me in worshiping our Lord and Savior? So hey. 
the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell for any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great i As we get into our everyday lives with uh, the weights and the baggage and the whatever else we may be walking through, Father, would your message resonate strong within our lives? Would your Holy Spirit do a work that is greater than anything we could do, but instead is life-changing and life-challenging, Father? I pray that the people in this room, regardless of where they're at in their faith journey, would take the next step. For those who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, would you work in a way that they would long to be in relationship with you. For those that are new to their faith and are still kind of drinking out of a fire hose right now, God, would they just have consistent comprehension that we don't have to get it perfect, Father. We are the Peter. A little misdirected, a little misguided, but yet you love us nonetheless. Father, for those that are in this room that may be the the proclaiming Christian, but yet doesn't have the relationship, that doesn't truly know you as our Father, as, a, as, a, as all that you are, God. Would you, would you tear down the walls, the brokenness, the baggage, the burdens that prevent them from taking the step to being fully and totally surrendered? Father, I know in my own life it is so easy to try to shut doors to keep you in a confined space. But Lord, I am asking that you would put a longing in the hearts of our body 
and in the surrounding area for you, that we would want you to be a part of every element, that we would surrender all of our being, not holding back, but instead diving in and questioning and wrestling and processing and working. Father, for those that are here this morning that have been a part of Southridge Community Church or a church for a very long time, they've heard the name God so many times that it almost is just another word. Would you remind us of the reverence and the awe and majesty that you have, Father? So that as we worship you, we would recognize how truly blessed we are. Father, I have truly no idea where each person is, but I am asking that you, you who does, you who knows each hair on our head, every grand, uh, every, every sand on the seashore, Father, you know each one, you know the hearts that are in this room. Would you provoke and challenge and nudge us to take a step in faith? God, we love you, Lord. And I'm asking you to be a presence here in the lives of this body. To be, well, we know you're a presence here, Lord, but even more that you would reveal to us the significance of you in our lives, in this church, in the surrounding area. That Southridge and the surrounding churches would all unite in proclaiming the name of who you are, the great I am. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, if you would like to receive some prayer or have a conversation, I would just encourage you, don't leave without doing that. Have a great rest of your Sunday.